You are listening to the Dark Fantastic Podcast. Welcome to this new episode of the Dark Fantastic Podcast. This is the post-Halloween episode, so expect a mix of things, some scary, some not. And uh, I've got a great interview lined up for you and uh, a few other things. So stay tuned and let's begin. There is a saying that you should never judge a book by its movie. And in most cases, this is true. In most cases, uh, feature film adaptations uh, don't really do justice to the source material. How many uh, award-winning or beloved Uh, literary classics uh, have uh, feature film adaptations uh, ruined but there are exceptions there are movies that are actually better than books Uh, mainly these types of movies which are feature film adaptations of books that are better than uh, than the books uh, usually are adapted from popular novels for the most part because I think it's very hard to adapt a piece of classic fiction, something by Henry James or or Dickens or uh, Walter Scott and make a movie uh, that is actually better than the source material because these books which are quote-unquote called classic books are usually psychologically complex or feature a very large cast of characters or are period pieces so uh, when they are translated into a feature film they lose a lot of their texture and a lot of their nuance and a lot of their layers if you find the movie that is actually better than the book then uh, the book is probably a piece of uh, modern or so-called popular fiction i want to talk about a few examples of uh, movies that are actually better than the books one of the first movies uh, that come to my mind when I think of uh, movies that are actually or actually improve upon the source material is uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho released in 1960. It is hard to imagine that such a trailblazing incomparable piece of cinema could come from such humble origins. The original novel of the same name, uh, which is written by Robert Bloch, is actually an almost forgettable psychological horror novel. It is mainly a very standard thriller, at least by today's standards. It's not that special, actually. I think it was more special when it first came out I think in the late 50s because of its tone and its structure in that the identity of the serial killer is is um, somewhat strange or the nature of the killer Norman Bates in the novel is is a bit different than than uh, than the usual serial killer usually featured in, in in this type of novel and of course the mid novel twist of killing a woman who the reader thinks is the main protagonist was something new at the time and the plot is very interesting but the book is written in a way that is a very plain spoken way it's not a very riveting novel and it's not a very complex novel psychologically and uh, honestly i don't think it's one of robert bloch's 
best books, but I think what attracted Hitchcock uh, was the gimmicky aspect of the novel, of the revelation of the killer and the killing of uh, Marion Crane midway through the book. I think that's what attracted uh, Hitchcock to the book, and uh, he saw a lot of potential to to tell the story visually in a very uh, complex and uh, stylish and innovative and uh, a trailblazing way. Um, and although the film follows the book's plot almost to a T, Hitchcock's take is much more powerful and his vision for the Norman Bates character is much more memorable and disturbing. I think his uh, Hitchcock's version of uh, Norman Bates is uh, is much more sympathetic and uh, much more attractive I think than the version in, in in the book because in the book Norman Bates is basically a very unattractive middle-aged uh, person and he's not that interesting a character really and in the movie Norman Bates is basically the centerpiece of of the story and uh, Anthony Perkins uh, portrayal is is riveting and is complex and he has this boyish charm that makes the viewer not necessarily root for him but the viewer wants to keep going uh, with him on the journey and see what happens, which is a very interesting twist on the approach that uh, Block takes with the character in the book. So if you've never read the book Psycho by Robert Block, it's an interesting book, it's an entertaining book, but the movie is better than the book. Christine is arguably one of Stephen King's worst books. Um, it goes on and on uh, with a slim and silly plot and the characters are basically boring and uh, the ending is very protracted and uh, not very satisfying. To me, as, uh, as, a, as a huge Stephen King fan, I kept postponing reading the, uh, the 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 novel because I was a huge fan of the uh, of the movie Christine directed by John Carpenter one of my favorite uh, directors and uh, since I watched uh, Christine so many times I felt that there probably wasn't much to the novel and I knew the story by heart by watching the movie so many times. So I thought I would find the book uh, boring or uh, there wouldn't be anything new in it. But I think a couple of years ago, I, I, uh, I found a used uh, copy of, uh, of Christine with the, the, the cover of the book was actually the poster of the movie version. Uh, John Carpenter's Christine so that actually hooked me and I picked up the copy it was very cheap and it's a big book it's one of uh, Stephen King's longer novels and as I read the novel I was actually very 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 disappointed because it's one of uh, those Stephen King books that he wrote in the 80s that were actually below average or subpar because I think the period between 1980 and basically the late 80s produced some of Stephen King's worst books for some reason and Christine fall, falls into that uh, category and came out of that period and it is not a very good book I, I don't, I don't want to call it a bad book but it's not a very good book and uh, it, it feels like a book that hasn't been edited you know it goes on and on and on and uh, 
it's not a very interesting story. But John Carpenter takes the book as a starting point and turns the story into one of his most entertaining films. Uh, Carpenter has stated many times that Christine is not one of his favorite movies because uh, I think he, he, he believes that it's not a very personal movie to him, that it doesn't have some of the elements uh, that he considers uh, integral to his style or, or his vision. But I think it's a very well-crafted movie. It's a very atmospheric movie. Technically, it's, uh, it's almost superb. And it features one of Carpenter's best scores. Uh, it has very alluring visuals. Uh, the characters in the movie are very interesting. Much, much more interesting and much better written than uh, the versions in King's novel. I don't think people know how much better John Carpenter's Christine is uh, than the uh, the novel by Stephen King. So uh, I think that's that's very interesting. Another movie that's based on a very mediocre book. Uh, and is actually a very good movie, is uh, The Bridges of Madison County, released in 1993. It is one of uh, director Clint Eastwood's more romantic movies. Uh, it was a departure for him when it came out. It features uh, one of his more layered uh performances, uh, a portrayal of, of a more sensitive, complex character than, than he had usually, uh, than, he, than he had played, I mean, up to that time. And I think it's one of his best uh, directorial efforts. As I said, it was a departure from Eastwood's usual brand of a kind of a a, a macho and contrarian uh, character and in it he plays uh, a kind of a softer, more romantic <clears throat> figure. Eastwood and, uh, and his screenwriter actually take the book apart and uh, transform it into a heartfelt and poignant love story about two people who just can't escape the traps they've built for themselves. And uh, the ending is, uh, is very fitting, it's very touching. And if you've never read the book, count yourself lucky. Because the book isn't very good, but uh, the movie is actually very good. And it's a very good example of uh, how you can take a bad book and turn it into a very valid piece of cinema. Another example uh, that I think will be a bit controversial to talk about is uh, the movie adaptation of John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath which was released in 1940. I know Steinbeck's novel is revered by almost every critic and teacher and university instructor who ever lived, but for my money, John Ford's feature film adaptation is the winner. Ford and his screenwriter, Nonnelly Johnson, trim off the novel's sentimental and political excesses and deliver a film that is haunting and visually majestic and uh, they streamline the story and they basically trim the fat of Steinbeck's book, a book that I was never a fan of, 
I think John Steinbeck wrote, wrote uh, better books and better stories. Um, the movie, I think, is better. I think it is one of John Ford's masterpieces. Some think it's even John Ford's best film, although it's not even a Western. But the cinematography, the, uh, the realism, the, the, the atmosphere is just uh, great. Everything about that movie is almost perfect. The performances, of course, have aged uh, a little bit, but um, uh, I think I think it's it's a, it's it's a great movie that came from a less than great book. Let me put it this way. Finally, I want to talk about one of my favorite movies as a kid. And I still love it to this day, which is Silver Bullet, released in 1985. It's based on the Stephen King novella, Cycle of the Werewolf. And it's almost a step-by-step guide on how to turn a lame book into a good movie. The book has an unoriginal story and forgettable characters. It was basically designed as... Uh, the, the original novella was basically designed as uh, as a calendar. Stephen King uh, went into the project intending to write 12 short pieces or 12 short vignettes you know january would have like this short this short story or this vignette and february would have another vignette and together the 12 vignettes would form like sort of a piece of long fiction but uh king i think said in, in many interviews that he got into the story so much that uh, he expanded it and it turned into a sort of a graphic novel uh, illustrated by Bernie Wrightson and uh, the illustrations are great but the story never really felt you know Kingsian it, it didn't have his, his, his usual uh, winning mixture of great characters and great dialogue and a high concept plot strangely enough when it came to the movie Stephen King adapted his own novella uh, into the Silver Bullet movie and uh, the screenplay for Silver Bullet is actually one of Stephen King's best screenplays. It's a very touching movie. It, it, it really captures Stephen King's style and voice and flavor. The movie moves at a, at a very fast pace. It has wonderful performances especially by Gary Busey. It, it features one of Gary Busey's, I think, best performances as Uncle Red. And it has a terrific ending. It's much, much better than the one featured in the original novella. It isn't a great movie, but it's a good one. And it showcases King's storytelling and voice quite well. And of course, I'm very biased because, as I said earlier, it's one of my childhood favorites and uh, it just features a story that I think appealed to me as, as a kid and uh, the story always appealed to me, the story of this disabled uh, kid in a wheelchair who, you know, has the courage to, to face off uh, against this evil that has overtaken his small town and uh, he just rises up and uh, tries to protect his family and no one believes him no no one believes him that there is this evil werewolf that has come to his town and uh, it's just uh, it's just a, a, a wonderful story very well told and it's one of my favorite movies uh, by Stephen King. And again, I think it's uh, much better than the source material. 
But if you haven't read Cycle of the Werewolf, I still uh, recommend it. It's an entertaining book and features great uh, illustrations by Bernie Wrightson. But the movie is better. My guest on this episode is truly a Renaissance man. He's an author, an actor, and a recording artist. As an audiobook narrator, he has recorded more than 500 books, including titles by John Irving, James Patterson, Stephen King, Dennis Lehane, John Grisham, among many, many others. He is also the author of the best-selling Deep Novels, the latest of which, Deep Devil, is available now. So, please welcome Nick Sullivan. Alrighty. Well, uh, yeah, well, um, thank you very much for joining me on the show. Uh, I've been a big fan of your work uh, as, a, as a narrator of audiobooks for years, and uh, I'll, I'll get to that later on. I'll tell you exactly how, how I came across your work for the first time which was a couple of years ago. But first, um, I want to talk a little bit uh, about your work as an actor. And on television, uh, your list of credits is actually pretty extensive. Uh, Orange is the New Black, The Good Wife, 30 Rock, and Law and Order, and I think a dozen others at least. So uh, did you always want to be an actor? Uh, no, I, I started out uh, wanting to be a screenwriter <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, writing was my interest. But when I went to college, uh, there was a, a director who was doing a small uh, David Mamet play, uh, The Duck Variations. And uh, she asked me if I would be in it. And it was just such a life-changing experience that I started doing as much theater as I could. I had done theater in, in high school, uh, you know, high school productions and uh, the local community uh, theater. But I, I had initially thought about writing and strangely enough, it's all sort of come full circle. Um, I ended up going to uh, uh, an acting college, uh, Rutgers MFA program. And uh, from there got an agent and started doing film and television and theater and did a few Broadway shows. Um, but the audiobook narration um, became a major focus for me. Uh, and I used to commute from Tennessee to New York once or twice a year where my uh, family is down there. And I would listen to the longest audiobooks I could find for that 12 hour drive. Uh, and after a while, I thought, you know, I think I think I can do this. Uh, and I started recording for uh, Talking Books, uh, which does uh, Library of Congress versions of commercial books, which gave me an opportunity to record uh, major titles uh, as a newcomer. Um, and then I shifted into commercial narration, and that has expanded, and I now have a home studio and do work for most of the uh, audiobook companies. Um, but for the acting, I guess you were asking about, uh, you know, film and TV is, has been a lot of fun. Uh, and I uh, enjoy, enjoyed my time on Broadway. Um, uh, that's been a few years since I've done a Broadway show. Theater is so all-consuming, you can't really do much else uh but with film and television i can continue to narrate and continue to write yeah that's very interesting to me because from from what you just said it uh, seems like you you were always interested in writing uh, even before thinking of of becoming an actor yes yeah um well, I, I mean, I, I imagine doing a lot of plays in high school got in my head uh, to write plays and screenplays. So I'm sure they're they're connected on on many levels. Um, uh, but the acting took over almost completely, and then the writing 
came back into my head as I narrated uh, 500 plus titles for other people. Uh, when you are carefully reading word by word another person's writing, uh, it really uh, gets you into the head of different writers, different styles, different genres. Uh, and I slowly found myself thinking about doing that. The writing actually came out of um, uh, converting a screenplay I had. Uh, but now I just write them straight to novel. You you recorded books for James Patterson, Stephen King, Louis L'Amour, John Grisham, John Irving, Dennis Lehane, and I could go on and on and on. So uh, they are very, very different genres. Uh, so how do, how does it differ recording uh, recording each book? How do you prepare for working on each book? Uh, well, you're gonna you're gonna do a, a read through, of course. Um, usually, the first thing I do uh, is uh, set up a document alongside, and anytime a new character shows up, uh, I'm talking fiction, of course, at the moment. Um, I will start creating what I call a voice scape uh, of all the uh, characteristics of that person. Um, Accent is a big one. Uh, there are a few authors who occasionally will mention that someone has an accent like 300 pages into the book, which I think is not good practice. Uh, but um, you you have to make sure that you catch all of those. Uh, so I, I actually do um, a find on page on the book for words like uh, accent, dialect, speech, uh, it, basically to try to grab those early so I have them in my head. Uh, then I start from the beginning. Anytime a new character shows up, I start taking notes on that person. Uh, anytime an unfamiliar term comes up, a, a word, a pronunciation, uh, towns in the United States are notorious for not being what you think they are. So that goes on a separate uh, section. Um, for pronunciations, and I just slowly prep my way through the book. Uh, and then usually I get right to work. I, I used to read it very carefully and mark every character, but I have too much of a workflow now, too many books to, to do that. Uh, it's easier now when I'm running my own sessions. If I misread something, I just stop and plug right in again. <laughs> so that that's yeah. much faster that way. Uh, and it also allows me sometimes to not know all the twists and turns, which keeps me more interested and more engaged. Um, and then once I've done a particular uh, author before, uh, in terms of the series, you really start to get um, an idea of their rhythm. Uh, and it just, it becomes easier and easier. I have more fun the longer I am with uh, an author um, because I, I, you start to get into their head and, uh, the peaks and valleys are very important in, uh, in an audio book. You don't want to do a, what I call a phone book read. Uh, you want to, to uh, bring the listener along. And the characterizations, that's something I'll, I'll mention briefly. Uh, when I talk about looking for aspects of how they speak, uh, I'm quite good with accents and voices and such, but uh, as I've done this, I tend to... Um, make the distinctions a little more subtle than I probably used to when I was a kid. So there's, there's no uh, sort of Hanna-Barbera cartoon characters, but you do want that if you strip out every he said, she said, and you just have dialogue, uh, you want the listener to effortlessly know that a new person is speaking and you want them to know who it is. So what do you like to read growing up and now? Wow. Well, growing up, I admit to reading a lot of Tom Clancy. <laughs> I just think those were, were really re well-structured uh, uh, political technological thrillers. Uh, I read a lot of Stephen King. Um, as I've grown older, uh, I'm a huge fan of Carl Hyacin. Uh, I find his, his characters are just so wonderfully over the top. Uh, and I find myself laughing out loud when I when I read his books. Um, oh, let's see. 
Who wrote Name of the Wind? I thought that was exceptional. To Patrick Rothfuss, I, I've never narrated for him, but uh, those books are are wonderful. I, I confess I read for pleasure less and less, especially now that I'm writing. Uh, I work with uh, some other authors in some groups, and we're constantly reading each other's work. So I, I have almost a pile of homework reading for night rather than pleasure. So it has actually been a while since I've gone into a bookstore and grabbed a book just for fun. Uh, when I go on vacation, I always try to do that. I try to pick up something that is has no more purpose other than bringing me joy. Uh, but now between prepping books or reading other authors' uh, works, uh, that's about it for my uh, my reading. Do you still listen to uh, audiobooks or do you prefer to read? Um, I prefer to read because yeah, it's, it's funny. When I was working on Broadway, we would sometimes get free tickets from the other shows, you know, Lion King or something, because uh, they would want to maybe paper their house on a certain day. And there I was working on Broadway. And the last thing I wanted to do was come in on my day off and sit in a theater. <laughs> and I think the same, I, I find I listen to audiobooks less now uh, because it's just something I'm constantly doing. I do listen to them on long drives. And I recently completed just a few months ago, the last of the uh, Stephen King gunslinger series uh, George Goodall had taken over at that point. Uh, so that was, that was a massive undertaking that I think I've been listening to those since the nineties. Uh, and I finished it just recently. Um, so actually my, my next long trip, I don't have an audiobook uh, to listen to. So that's something I need to, to get on, uh, cause for 12 hours, just the radio is not enough for me. Um, well, let me tell you just uh, just a little bit about how I came across your work. I'm a big Stephen King fan. So um, I was uh, browsing, I think, a bookstore and uh, a small bookstore that I found. And I found a book by Stephen King that uh, I'd never read before. And it was called Cycle of the Werewolf. And I discovered that uh, that's that's basically or 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 the movie Silver Bullet was based upon that uh, novella, which was uh, illustrated. So I bought the book and uh, and uh, and I love the movie. I still watch. I, I I loved it as a kid, and I still love Silver Bullet to this day. It's a very fun, uh, very affecting movie. So I I went into the book into reading Cycle of the Werewolf. And uh, with very high expectations. And to be honest, I found the book a bit underwhelming. Uh, the book wasn't one of Stephen King's best books. It, was, it wasn't because I, I know it was uh, later on, I learned that it was written as a, basically as a calendar. And then it was expanded into a sort of a graphic novel. But anyway, it, for me as a Stephen King fan, it wasn't one of his best. So I never really reread that book again. I set it aside and and uh, very disappointed. Uh, later on, I was uh, again browsing. Years later, I was browsing and I, I found the copy of uh, the audiobook for Cycle of the Werewolf. So I usually didn't really go go for audiobooks, but. I, I, I so loved the Silver Bullet, the movie, and, and I really wanted to give the, the book Cycle of the Werewolf another chance. And I have to tell you, listening to your reading of Cycle of the Werewolf is like listening to a completely different book, which is, uh, which is amazing because it showed me that... Um, audiobook narration can actually elevate uh, a, a book, um, even if the book is a bit, even if it has flaws in the hands of the right reader or narrator, actually the book can become a, a very entertaining, very enjoyable uh, listening experience. And 
I remember listening to Cycle of the Werewolf. That was a couple of years ago. And it was such a fun experience. I think I listened to it all the way through. And uh, it was it was stunning to me. It was eye-opening to me that audiobooks could do that. I know that that it's it's not it's not a great piece of literature to be introduced to audiobooks through. Stephen King has written a lot has written a lot of better books, and there are a lot of, of better books out there. But that book to me was amazing. It's still amazing, and I still when when I need some um, you know uh, a booster, and uh, when I need. Uh, a piece of escapist entertainment that's that's uh, thrilling. I go back to your reading of Cycle of the Werewolf, and that's how I uh, I researched and discovered and and paid attention to know the name of the of the narrator, and that's how I discovered your work, and that's how I actually went online and uh, tried to find other books uh, read by that narrator. So that's my story. Well, that's that's fascinating. I uh, very generous of you. Thank you. I I wouldn't have guessed that Cycle of the Werewolf was the one that uh, I was curious what what had introduced you to me. Um, uh, that one, I just so your listeners know, if they go and try to to buy that, it's I recorded that for the Library of Congress. Um, so uh, there there's probably a commercial version out there that that I did not record. Um, that one was. Uh, uh, the National Library Service has um, uh, uh, an agreement with a lot of the publishers to do an archival version of things. Um, so somewhere in the Library of Congress is my version of uh, of uh, Huckleberry Finn, uh, which is great because that's not something I've recorded for commercial use. But Cycle of the Werewolf, I remember that. I remember that book. And, uh, they, I read that from the book. Everything now you read from the digital copy. But that I had a physical book in my hand with all the pictures, which gave me an idea of how I thought people should talk. Uh, uh, and that was a lot of fun. I do enjoy horror. I mean, one of the books I've written is is horror, although it's more horror comedy. Um, and of late, boy, I read, I don't know if you know the author Robert McCammon. But yeah, of he, course. Yeah. Oh, I listened to your version. So I, yeah. Yeah, I listened to a version of the Stinger. I have it. Oh, good. Yes, I did Stinger, and then um, I love the other one, too, the Mystery Walk. Yeah. Stinger, I sort of jokingly call uh, uh, West Side Story with aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's more of an action action thriller horror. Uh, Mystery Walk is just full on horror, and it's just marvelous. I, but those two, boy, that was a lot of fun doing those. And, and Mystery Walk, I remember that book just scared me reading it, which was marvelous. But, you know, horror, I, I don't, I think the McCammon books were the last time I did horror, and that's been a few years. Um, I read a lot of mystery and action-adventure thrillers. That's something I narrate a lot. Uh, I have narrated a fair amount of fantasy in the past. I narrate a lot of science fiction. Uh, I do a lot of books for a man named Ian Douglas, who does the uh, what I would call grand space opera, you know, large capital ships blasting away at each other um, and uh, in his uh, Star Carrier series. Um, I'm originally from the South, so one of the companies always gives me their, their Southern books because I can pretty much turn on my East Tennessee accent pretty easily. Um, and sometimes they want to have it from, from that, uh, from the, from the beginning. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a mix. I've done children's books. I've done young adult books. I've done some romance. I've, I've done some that I've read, uh, got about halfway into it and then called them up and said, I'm going to need to use a pseudonym on this. <laughs> it's way too, <laughs> way too graphic. Uh, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great. I don't, I don't know that there is a, a genre that I haven't read at this point. Being introduced to audiobooks uh, through your work, I think is very, very interesting uh, because I, I don't know, of course, the, 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 the audiobook uh, recording craft. I, I haven't really uh, researched it. I haven't really delved into it that much, but I haven't come across 
um, I haven't come across uh, uh, readers or narrators, I mean, who, ha who have recorded basically as much as you have and uh, across so many genres. So I think being introduced to audiobooks through you and through uh, and by, by following your work uh, and seeing that you actually uh, cover a lot of genres. So that gave me uh, the, the incentive because I liked uh, your, the, the, your voice and I liked your, your performances. So that exposed me to different types of audiobooks. So that's, that's, uh, that, that was amazing. So, but anyway, I wanna move on and uh, I wanna uh, talk about your work as a writer because uh, you are also the best-selling author of the deep novels uh, as uh, as they are listed on your website so i think there are four of them uh, now right uh yes the deep series there are four uh, although my fifth book is currently in the hands of uh, the beta readers which is uh, the first step usually you have a first draft sometimes a second draft and that goes to uh, in my case, a group of um, divers, uh, former military, uh, some fellows are experts in boats. I have some who are experts in uh, uh, aircraft, weaponry. Um, and then I also have uh, some fellow writer friends and actor friends who are quite good at spotting plot holes and things. So that fifth book is, is currently under construction and uh, should come out in January. Uh, the the deep series uh, are action adventure thrillers. Uh, they follow uh, Boone Fisher and Emily Durand, who are a pair of dive masters uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, scuba diving instructors and guides. <clears throat> and I write the books. Uh, I scuba dive and. I thought that it would be an interesting pair to to follow. I there are so many books where. Your main character is, you know, ex grizzled ex Navy SEAL with every skill you could possibly have, but that's not the case with with my two my two folks. Um, and I like to set each book in a different location, so they're somewhat nomadic and they're on a different island every time, which lets me kind of recreate the world and uh, do a bit of a travelogue in each book and change it up. Uh, and I also try to change the the genres a bit. I mean, I've had terrorists in one. I've had a serial killer in one. I've had uh, uh, what I would call a uh, artifact art heist in another, uh, a complicated conspiracy in another. You know, it's it's sort of fun with all the narration I do. I I see all the the tropes that come back and the ones that are popular. So. My idea is a different location and a different threat uh, in each book. Uh, and those four books, plus the fifth coming out, is the Deep Series. And then I also have Zombie Bigfoot, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, <laughs> it is uh, uh, action-adventure, horror, comedy. It's more of a creature feature in the same way that, you know, Jaws, sure, that's horror, but not really. It's also, you know, it's action adventure. So this this is not a Stephen King type book. It's more um, uh, more like a Grisham, I guess. No, not Grisham. What am I saying? Uh, Crichton, more like a Jurassic Park meets Shaun of the Dead. Uh, so there's a lot of humor in that one. Uh, and I wrote it to be able to have a lot of fun with the uh, the characters. So there's a lot of crazy over the top characters for me to do in the audiobook, which I'm very happy with. Yeah, I look forward to uh, to reading them or listening to them. Um, and I also wanted to ask you, because you do a lot of, of things across so many uh, uh, platforms. So what other creative avenue uh, do you want to give a try? Is there anything left? Oh, boy. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the I, I've done this screenwriting but they haven't been made it's one of the reasons i decided to novelize zombie bigfoot that was something i wanted to put in front of uh, sam raimi and bruce campbell <laughs> but now that i've novelized it i might have uh, better chances and honestly the screenplay is now going to be much better uh 
oftentimes, of course, you don't get to write the screenplay, but I would hope that with the dialogue I've got in there, I would become involved. Uh, so that would be that would be an area would be to professionally write for the screen. Um, but as far as all of the acting goes, I, I'm, I'm happy with what I've done. I'm by no means a celebrity. Uh, I'm not going to be the one uh, leading off uh, as a main character in a series, but uh, chances are you've seen me on any long running series. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really enjoying the writing right now. That's, that is my focus. Um, trying to get, uh, I've been doing one book a year and I'd like to increase that um, slightly. Uh, maybe not two a year, but more. <laughs> So uh, what are you working on now? Well, the, what I'm working on now is the book that's currently with beta readers. Uh, that one is called uh, Deep Focus. Um, and it, I'll, I'll give away a little bit here. Um, I decided with all of my background in acting and film that it might be interesting to throw my characters into a filmmaking situation. Um, you know, there have been a number of movies uh, made uh, in the Caribbean. Uh, Grand Cayman's actually had quite a few. This book takes place in Grand Cayman and Little Cayman. Um, but, uh, you know, bon the Bond movie Thunderball was shot in the Bahamas. Uh, Jaws 4 was shot in the Bahamas. Uh, Grand Cayman, I think, The Firm was shot there partially. And Pirates of the Caribbean was in multiple places. So in this book, um, uh, I've basically gotten a chance to show off putting my characters into a uh, into a filming situation with all the all the things that happen. Uh, of course, it's action adventure thriller, so some things are not going well, and there's something darker going on. Uh, but that's what I'm working on now. Uh, I'm also narrating. Uh, I have seven books to narrate between now and December. Uh, I'm narrating some books for Wayne Stennett, who writes uh, action-adventure thrillers. And then I have to narrate my own book. Uh, and then I co-wrote with uh, three other authors a book called Graceless. And uh, I have to narrate the novella for that. Uh, I think we're releasing that in January as well. Uh, well, that sounds great. Um, a, a lot of things coming up, so I look forward to uh, to everything you you have you have coming up, and uh, I look forward to listening to more of your books because, as you said, there are to more of of the books you recorded and to the books you wrote because there are like hundreds of of books out there. Uh, uh with your voice in them so uh, i look forward to that and again i thank you for introducing me to the pleasure of uh, listening to audiobooks even if it was uh, through such a slight book as uh, cycle of the <laughs> werewolf but it was my you know it was my gateway drug basically and uh, nick thank you very much for joining me i don't want to take uh, too much of your time so thank, well, thank you, you, you so much, much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. It began in May. And every month after that, whenever the moon was full, it happened again. And again. Nobody knew who or what was responsible. They only knew it had to be stopped. Now, from the master of mystery and suspense, Stephen King's Silver Bullet. I'd like to end this episode with a beautiful yet disturbing poem by Keats. It's very macabre, uh, it's very strange, and I think it's fitting for this 
post-Halloween episode. The poem is called The Living Hand, and this reading by Winston Thorpe is taken from the LibriVox website, a great website, and you can download the poem from LibriVox, and I'll include the link in this episode's description. And I'd like to thank you for joining me for this episode of the Dark Fantastic Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it, and please join me again. This living hand, now warm and capable of earnest grasping, would, if it were cold and in the icy silence of the tomb, so haunt thy days and chill thy dreaming nights that thou wouldst wish thine own heart dry of blood, so in my veins red life might stream again, and thou be conscience calmed. See, here it is, I hold it towards you. You've been listening to The Dark Fantastic Podcast. Flashes in the Dark Tiny Stories Vast Dimensions The Faces he walked ahead, head bent down against the wind. From the corner of his eye, the orange faces stared, the lights dancing behind their grins. Halloween, a celebration for some, a dark time for others. He walked and walked, keeping them at bay. He raised his head. He was lost. An abandoned place. Out of the dark, two girls came near. They said, Round here, it's always Halloween. And they smiled, the lights flickering behind their teeth. <laughs> Text copyright Ahmed Khalifa. 2021 Ahmed Khalifa is a filmmaker and novelist. He is the writer-director of several short films and a feature, released on Netflix, and the author of a number of novels and short stories, including, Beware the Stranger, available on Amazon.